Amen. Turn with me tonight in your Bible to John chapter 10. I'm going to read all of the chapter. I'm going to break into the reading at verse 19. John chapter 10, very familiar chapter. John chapter 10, we're going to read from verse 19. Let's hear the word of the Lord. John chapter 10, verse 19. There was a division, therefore, again among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not. But for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 33. And we pray that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Amen. Now, my text tonight is taken from John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And I want us to think tonight of a subject that I've entitled, The Eternal Security of the Lord's People. When the Lord Jesus made his way from northern Galilee to Jerusalem, his arrival there coincided with a number of important Jewish feasts. For example, we read in John chapter 7, verse 2, that the Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. The Lord Jesus sent his disciples on before him. He urged them to go up to Jerusalem and observe this feast. And he added, for my time is not yet full come, John 7 and verse 8. Now, after his disciples left, the Lord Jesus also went up to the feast, but this time secretly. 
I'm not saying he was in fear of the Jews, but the Bible tells us he went up secretly. And, of course, in Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders sought him at this feast. They asked the disciples, where is he? Many questioned who he was, and they pondered in their minds about his true identity. And then we read in John 7 and verse 14, now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Remember, the feast was over many days. He taught the people the word of God. He preached to the crowd told him about sin and salvation and about himself. And we're told in John 7 and verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth in me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe in him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The Lord Jesus pointed to himself as the true fountain of living water. And all who partook of that living water, he said, will never thirst again in a spiritual sense. Now we also know that the Lord Jesus was in the temple at the feast of dedication. Look at John 10 verse 22. It says there, and it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Now, this feast of the dedication was instituted by Jacob Maccabees when he defeated the Syrian forces and cleansed and reclaimed the temple. So, a great festival was instituted at Jerusalem that had really become a permanent fixture in the Jewish religious calendar. Now, the Feast of Dedication was have held every year in the heart of winter. The winter, of course, was a very cold time of the year. And it was during that period the Lord Jesus walked in Solomon's porch and it was there at that time that certain Jews came to him and said, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Notice how the Lord Jesus replied. We read here in the scriptures, in John chapter 10, and in the verse 25, I told you, and you believe not, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but ye believe not. See, the Lord Jesus knew their heart and mind. He knew they were not fully interested in getting to know him. They weren't interested in having a personal knowledge of who he really was. See, no matter what Christ said or what Christ did, they were not going to believe in him as the promised Messiah, as the only Savior of sinners. He says, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but ye believe not. Now, now, why did they not believe? Look at the answer. Look at the text. Because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. And of course, that's a reference to the verses in John 10, verses 1 through to 18. And I would encourage you to read that. And immediately after this verbal confrontation with the Jews... During what was the 22nd of December, in the heart of the winter months, the Lord Jesus put forth this tremendous statement. 
My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now as I thought of that text of scripture, I thought of the eternal security of the Lord's people. And I saw three things there. I want you to think first of all of the characteristics of the Lord's people. Look at verse 27. My sheep. The Lord Jesus tonight likens every true born again believer to a sheep. Why sheep? What are the hallmarks of the Lord's sheep? Well, well, let's make it clear tonight that sheep are prone to wander, prone to go astray, that they're always getting lost. And sheep that are lost need to be saved. And isn't this what Isaiah the prophet said? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord have laid in him the iniquity of us all. Think tonight of lost sheep. It was the psalmist that said in Psalm 119 verse 176. I have gone astray as a lost sheep. Seek thy servant. For I don't forget thy commandments. And then let's think of the parable of the lost sheep. Matthew chapter 18, verse 12, Luke 15. Think of a, a man that has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, one of them has gone lost. And you think of the shepherd leaving the 99 in the safety of the sheepfold, and he goes into the mountains and he seeks for the sheep that has gone astray, the sheep that is lost. And Isaiah and David. And the Lord Jesus wanted men to recognize their true condition before the Lord, that they were like lost sheep, that they had gone astray. And what they needed was for the Lord to seek them as lost sheep and for the Lord to bring them back to himself and bring them back to the safety of the sheepfold. Is it not part of the shepherd's job and business to go and seek and find the lost sheep? Has our sin not separated us from the Lord for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Is, is it not true that sheep that are lost will not find their own way back? Is not true literally for sheep? Is not true spiritually? The sheep needs someone to seek them. That's why the psalmist could say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have gone astray as a lost sheep. Seek thy servant. And the Lord came and sought him. And the Lord found him. And the Lord saved him. My sheep, not goats. Not snakes, not foxes, not wolves. Can we not thank God tonight that we read of the good shepherd whenever he says in John 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Remember in verse 14 he said again I am the good shepherd and know my sheep And am known of mine You see when we remember Calvary tonight Let's think of the Lord Jesus dying on the cross Shedding his precious blood To purchase our salvation He was giving his life for the lost sheep That they might be saved And, 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 and this truth needs to be gripped in our hearts and minds that he died and shed his blood and, and those that are saved are the sheep for whom Christ has died. The sheep have been bought. The sheep have been paid for not by baptism, not by church attendance, though it's good to attend church and we encourage that, 
Not not your own individual good works of self-righteousness. Not certain observances of church rites or religiosity. But purchased by his own blood. He, He purchased us. Think of him on Calvary. And he's dying there and shedding his blood to save us. And he rose again bodily from the dead for us. He's he's praying for us at this moment in heaven. He's coming for us. I have a question tonight. My sheep, are you among the Lord's sheep? And you might say to me, well, how do I know that I'm among the Lord's sheep? How do I know that I'm his? I have many doubts and many fears. Listen to the text. My sheep. What does he say about them? Hear my voice. That's one of the characteristics of the Lord's sheep. Sheep are obedient to his voice. They recognize and know his voice. They listen to him. They're they're, they're rejoicing when he speaks. They're they're overwhelmed with, with his word. The Bible teaches us that his own sheep know not the voice of a stranger. Are many voices not calling for our attention in the world? Does the devil not whisper into your ears often? What about the voices of an ungodly society? What about the voice of the false teacher and the false prophet? I often think of Mary Magdalene in the Garden of Gethsemane. I think of the morning of the resurrection. And she looked and saw what she believed to be a gardener. And she said, sir, if you've taken away, tell me, and I'll carry him off hence. And he turned and he spoke, and what did he say? He said, Mary. And immediately she recognized his voice, Rabboni. And she went and and grabbed hold of him. And he told her, don't uh, touch me, because I've not yet ascended to my father. Here's another characteristic, and I know them. You know, he knows your name individually. He knows your need tonight individually in this church. Do you know, he knows the number of his own sheep. The Bible says the Lord knows them that are his and let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And remember what we read in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 7 and in the verse um, 9. And and we read there, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. You see, the Lord says, and I know them. He knows their name. He knows their need. He knows the number of his his own sheep. But he not only knows them individually, he knows them intimately. This is is connected to the omniscience of Christ. It's the knowledge of Christ. He knows everything about us. He knows all things about us. There's nothing hidden. He knows when you're sad. He knows when you're sick. He knows your struggles. He knows your size. He knows your sins. He knows your shortcoming. He knows all about your service. He, he, he knows about your songs even in the midnight hour. He, he knows your, your, your sucker. Think of what the psalmist said in Psalm 139. I'm always blown away and we're conscious that the psalmist himself thought that this was absolutely 
wonderful and, and mind-boggling. He says in Psalm 139, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast set me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Listen to verse 6, Psalm 139. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. In other words, it's mind-boggling. Lord, this is blowing me away. Your knowledge of me. And here's another characteristic. They follow me. Not follow the crowd. Not follow a church, not merely follow a creed, but they follow me. Not a man or a movement. The, the, the Lord's sheep keeps their eyes on him. Their focus is on him. We are to follow him. Now, there's the hallmarks of the true sheep of Christ. They hear his voice. He knows them. And they follow him. Now I want to ask again, are you one of the Lord's sheep tonight? Can you say truthfully, dear Savior, thou art mine? Was there a time when he's come and revealed himself to you as a seeking shepherd? And you saw yourself as a lost sheep who had gone astray from him in your sin who needed to be saved. And you're now his. And you're thinking of that day and that moment when you became his. You see, it talks here in John 10, verses 1 to 18. It mentions it twice. His own shape. And I'm asking you, are are you one of them tonight? Isn't it a wonderful thing to be a Christian? To know that the shepherd has saved you from your lost estate. To know that the shepherd speaks to you personally out of his word. To know that the shepherd actually sees you in all your need. Knows everything about you. And the shepherd directs your steps. He leads you to do what? Follow me. Have you the testimony to this end tonight? That you're his. The characteristics of the Lord's sheep. Now all that's preparatory. I want you to think also of the comfort of the Lord's people. Notice what he says in verse 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I want you to think of his promise here. And I give unto them, that's my sheep, those that hear my voice and those whom I know, and they who follow me, I give unto them eternal life. Now think of his promise. And I give unto them eternal life. You see, there's many promises in the Bible. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said the Bible is saturated with many promises. And here's one of them. This is one of the greatest promises, I believe, of all time. Doesn't the Bible say the gifts and callings of God are without repentance? In other words, God will not go back in his word. God will not change his mind. Remember what the Apostle Paul says there in the book of uh, Philippians, in Philippians chapter 1 and the verse 6, and we preached in this um, many, many um, months back and maybe even a couple of years 
Remember what he said there, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And what was that good work? It was the work of salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. It's all of God and all of grace. He started that work. And and he's continuing that work. And he will complete that work one day. And that work started when he gifted you eternal life. I give unto them eternal life. Do you know that if you're in Christ tonight and believed in him to the saving of your soul, you have eternal life here and now. You already possess if you're a true believer. If you're one of his sheep, you already possess eternal life. Ownership of eternal life is yours at this present time. How do I know that? Well, listen to what the Bible says. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And over there in the gospel are the epistles of, of John, uh, first, second, and third John. That was the apostle John. And he, of course, uh, wrote this uh, tremendous message in first John uh, chapter uh, 5. And, and he says, uh, t- tells us very clearly, these things have been written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Life in Christ now. What sort of life is it? It's a spiritual life. Where you're alive to God in Christ. Where you're alive to your sin and your soul and your need of salvation. And that life in the present is not only a spiritual life, but, but it's an abundant life. John 10 and 10, I'm come that you might have life and you have it more abundantly. And it's not only a spiritual abundant life, but a life in the present. It's really an endless life. Because it's the life of God that's been implanted in the soul. This tonight is a precious gift, the gift of eternal life. This is a present gift. Notice the text. And I give unto them. It's not I gave, that's the past tense. It's I give, the present continuous tense. I have given today. I'm giving tomorrow. And by virtue of his resurrection life, he's always given. He's constantly giving us this life through him. You see, it's impossible for him to take it back. If it were possible for him to take back the gift of eternal life, then he could be guilty of deception. He could be guilty of breaking his promise. And I give unto them eternal life. If his gift is eternal life, how could he ever take it back? Does the Bible not talk about those that are ordained to eternal life? It does. Acts 13, verse 38. Now, this should be great encouragement for you tonight. You see, many of God's people this evening are full of fear. They have loads of worries. They fear for their family. They're thinking about their children growing up in a world that's ungodly and lawless. They're thinking about the next 10, 20 years. What's going to happen? They might even be here tonight and fearful of death. 
Doesn't the Bible speak of this? This is a real fear, who through fear of death were subject to bondage. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Maybe you're here tonight and you're afraid of meeting God in the judgment. And the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Bible says, prepare to meet thy God. Meaning that he's coming to meet you in the judgment. How many tonight are fearful for the future? Life's uncertain. Think of a church in crisis tonight. Think of the country in crisis. And, and there's upheaval in the land. And, and what's of the future? And, and, and of course, where should our eyes be? It should be in the Lord. Because let's remember, it's his church. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not be built against it. But let me tell you of another fear. A fear of falling away. A fear of perishing at the end. Is that not a common fear? We ask the question tonight, is it possible for a true believer to be ever lost or to perish? What's the answer? The answer is no. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. You see, there was two preachers that were arguing. One was a Calvinist and the other was an Arminian. And the old Arminian said to the Calvinist, but eternal doesn't mean eternal. Well, if it doesn't mean eternal, what does it mean? You see, there are sadly some who teach that it's possible for a true believer to be lost. And that idea has done a lot of harm, especially to the mental and spiritual health of many of God's people. And many of God's people have lived a life of bondage, a life of fear, a life of terror. They have no assurance. They lack a lot of peace. And they feel at times they've committed such sin, even the unpardonable sin, that there's no hope of me ever being saved at the end. And I want to tell you tonight, I believe wrongly, some preachers have preached this. I want to state tonight that it's not biblical. It's not scriptural. Can I assure you tonight that if the Lord Jesus said, and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, he means what he said. He will not go back in his word. Here's encouragement for you. Here's peace of mind for you. Here's a confidence to you. God's people can never perish or ever be lost. God's people will never face an eternal hell. They will never be in the lake of fire. God's people, of course, can fall into sin. That sin can be grievous. It can be sad for them and for God's people. God's people can backslide. They can give the enemy of God an occasion to blaspheme. Remember the psalmist, Psalm 51. David had been backslidden for the best part of a year. What does he pray in the prayer of restoration? Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. He hadn't lost his salvation. Psalm 51 verse 12. But he had lost his joy. He had lost his peace of mind. Remember the time Peter followed afar off. Think of the scripture. Peter wept. Lot, as we saw this morning, was an Old Testament believer, but he was a backslider living in Sodom. Think of Job and all the bitter trials that he experienced and the dark valleys that he went through and the hard times. I think of Elijah who fell into a state of depression, who felt there's no hope or help for me. Lord, you've forgotten me. Lord, you've failed me. Uh, Lord, let me die. I'm the only one left. But I want to say tonight, 
But despite that reality, a true believer can never lose his or her salvation. I believe tonight in the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. I believe tonight a true believer will persevere in faith and walk with God until the end. A true believer, even though he may lapse into a state of backsliding, will be restored. Does it not say in the scriptures, and this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Think of this promise. Eternal life. A gift here and now. A precious gift, a present gift. A gift for all time. A gift for the whole of eternity. And if you look at the text very carefully, it says, Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. The word any man is in italics. Do you see that there? It's not in the original. No movement, no army, no hordes of demons, not even the devil himself can break this promise. God will keep his word. There's not one promise that he won't fulfill. I believe tonight there's nothing more sure than the authentic word of God. The Lord Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Do you know the more word of God is more sure than this world that we're living in? People talk about climate change and all that's happening as far as the climate and the world is concerned, remember, the world's getting older. The world's eventually going to pass away. But we'll never perish. We'll never be forgotten. We'll never be failed. Let me tell you a little story of a woman. She was at a church meeting one night and she got gloriously saved. And the preacher who had led her to the Lord gave her a little card. And he put a tremendous text of scripture into that little card. And that text of scripture was John chapter 5 and in the verse 24. And this is what it says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth in him that sent me hath everlasting life. Shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. The woman went to bed very happy. She got up the next morning and she felt very discouraged. She felt she had lost her joy. She was full of doubts and fears. We fellas sitting at the breakfast said, well, what's wrong, mummy? You're so sad. Last night you were so happy. And she said to the wee fella, it's all gone. It's all gone. And as quick as a flash, the wee fella says, well, has the verse changed? What about the verse the preacher gave you? And he run and got her Bible. He got the card and he read the text out to her. And he says, mummy, has the verse changed? You see, there was a child's simple faith in the power of the word of God. His word is unchangeable. His word is unfathomable. The comfort of God's people is think of the promise. But the comfort of God's people is also to think of the power. Not only the promise of Christ, but the power of Christ. Notice these words in John 10. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You see, tonight there's no limit to Christ's power. He's omnipotent. It means that he's all-powerful. We, of course, are limited in what we can do. We heard this morning about Mr. Impossible, children's story, 
a Mr. Impossible that could do impossible things. We could learn that he could fly and climb trees and jump over houses and do sums and kick a football so high that it would become frosted with, with snow and ice. But remember, he couldn't make himself a true Christian. But the Lord Jesus is not limited because he is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. He, his power is infinite. His power is above and beyond us. We cannot measure his power. Don't, don't we measure cars by how many horsepower? Uh, and we, 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 we measure um, the, the light bulbs by, by wattage. But there's no measure to God's power. Solomon said, heaven and the heavens cannot contain thee. Encourage your heart as you think of salvation. That the Lord tonight has unlimited power to keep you. Because he says, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. You see, he has power to save tonight. He's able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. He's able to keep you because we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. He's able to use you for his glory. He's able to work. Even in a church like this, even in our denomination, even in our country at this time. You know, many people say, I'd love to be saved. Love to be a Christian, but I couldn't keep it. You're 100% right, you couldn't keep it. Because you don't do the keeping. How does a child cross a very busy road? How do you keep the child safe? Well, the parent takes the hand of the child. And the child's in the hand of the parent. And they cross together. Think of the power of Christ. I also want you to think of the pledge of Christ. You see, in the Bible doctrine for children explained by a man called Ramsbottom, John Newton, the slave trader, was in Naples, in Italy. He was in a ship there, in dock. And he had a dream. This is what he dreamed. Now, this is true. This is what he recorded. The Lord came to him in the dream. And he gave to him a lovely diamond, a most expensive diamond, a rare diamond. And he said he was never happier or more joyful at that moment. And after the Lord had given to him, the Lord left. And then shortly after, a more sinister, darker person came that he didn't recognize. And he um, questioned the value of the diamond. He ridiculed it. He said it wasn't a real diamond. And it was only a, 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 a ploy to deceive him. And he urged him to throw it overboard. And in his dream, that's what John Newton did. And then after a while, the Lord returned to John Newton on the deck and asked for the jewel back. Well, well Newton had to make a full confession. Told about this sinister dark person coming, the interaction, and how he had thrown it overboard into the sea. Then he could see the Lord going into the sea, fetching the jewel out, Coming back on deck and Newton putting his hand out to take it back from the Lord. And this is what the Lord said. John Newton, this jewel is yours. This jewel will always be yours. But John Newton, I'm going to keep it for you. And that's what the Lord does in relation to salvation. The Bible says we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. The word kept means we're garrisoned. 
Whenever Paul was traveling towards Rome, he had 470 soldiers with him. 200 soldiers, uh, 70 horsemen, 200 spearsmen. But we have a far greater protection, a far greater garrison, because we're in the hand of God. And his pledge, I'll keep salvation for you. I'll keep you for salvation. Let me close tonight. We've thought about the characteristics of the Lord's people. We've thought about the comfort of the Lord's people. Think of the promise and the power and the pledge of Christ. But think of the confidence of the Lord's people. What does he say at the end of the text? My hand. There's no safer place. There's no better place to be. I close with this thought. A Scottish preacher by the name of Haddington, John Brown of Haddington, was visiting a lady on her deathbed and he read and prayed with her. He asked him to tell her how she came to Christ. And then he said to her as he left her, having read the scriptures and offered prayer, what if I told you that you were going to be lost in the end? You'd never make it to heaven. And do you know what she said? If he does, he has much more to lose than I have. Because that would be an insult to God. That means that I was taken out of the hand of the Savior and the hand of the Father. And that means that the devil is more powerful than even Christ. You see, our salvation's in Christ. Our surety is in Christ. Our security is in Christ. Think of these words. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So we're in the Father's hand. The first person of the Trinity. We're in the Savior's hand. That's the second person of the Trinity. And what about the third person of the Trinity? Well, he indwells us. The Holy Spirit is God's pledge of ownership. His seal. The earnest of our inheritance. And is that not our confidence tonight? That we're in his hand. And Christ is in the hand of the Father. And we're indwelt by the Spirit. And we could never be lost. Because that would be an insult to God. I trust tonight, if you're here, and maybe you're doubting or fearful, your security or salvation in Christ, you'll think to this, am I the Lord's sheep? If I'm his, then let me have this comfort, comfort of his promise, his power, his pledge. And let me rest in this confidence that I'm in his hand.